Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs. No Danny tonight, but I do have a guest that I'm very excited to talk to. He is the co-host of the Open Floor podcast. On the other line from Sports Illustrated, Andrew Sharp. Andrew, hey, welcome. what's going on? Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm I'm uh, honored. I'm a longtime reader of Blazer's Edge for the last ten years or so. Wow, that's exciting. How did you like? Have you always been like, a, you know, had an interest in the Blazers for some reason, or how did that come about? Um. Well, first of all, yes, the Blazers have always been like a late night pastime for me uh, because I'm on the East Coast, and so. Generally, when you look around at like 1 a.m., it's like Kings games or Suns games or Blazers games. And like the Blazers are the only half decent option. And recently with Lillard, like they're always fun at uh, at the, the midnight hour. But then I also I started work uh, as a sports writer for SB Nation. Oh, and man. obviously, like that was a long it was like eight or nine years ago. And so they had this network of blogs and um, the, the Blazers fans, even then, were like so much more intense and rabid, like as a community. So there was like an urban legend surrounding Blazers Edge among SB Nation employees. And so that's kind of how I like noticed everybody out there. That is so cool to know. And I kind of want to explore that a little bit more, but I'm not quite sure where to go with it. So I'm going to marinate on that one. for a little Okay. While. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty great because it was like a lot of comment sections on, on random NBA team blogs would have like five, 10 comments. And then like every Blazers thing would just be like, it would take off. They would drive so much traffic to like our site. And it was, it was wild. So, so were you, Reading the reading, you know, Blazers Edge during the Kevin Durant, uh, Greg Oden debate. So that one, I, I was not reading during those years. I have since come back and um, I read a lot of Ben Golliver, my co-host, uh-huh. his like deranged writing about how badly they needed to draft Kevin Durant is now some of my favorite basketball writing of all time. So <laughs> um, I got into that retroactively, but. So how it, uh, do you feel about that decision? Would you have gone with Durant or would you have gone with Odin? Um, I was a big, big Durant guy, which okay. I think now everybody would say. So I feel bad saying it. But I Durant was from D.C. and I was a big believer. And like the first couple years of his career, um, he would come back and like spend the entire summer playing in D.C. So I just had a soft spot for him ever since he like even before he went to Texas. So I was pretty biased, um, but Odin, people forget exactly how great he was when he was healthy and out there. So I, I think like over time, everybody's like, oh, like how did they ever take Odin? Odin would have been amazing had he stayed healthy. Yeah, I'm one of those people who will go to my grave saying I totally understand why they took Odin. And I, <laughs> when I'm like, you know, feeling down and like, you know, need to go to a – you know, go watch some sad video to make me sad just to like get a good cry <laughs> on. I'll go watch some of the highlights of Greg Oden when he was on. It was so beautiful. He was yeah. so nimble. He could like somehow get his whole body contorted over the baseline, save the ball, give a direct pass into somebody and then be there on the other side of the basket ready to tip it in. And it was like, oh my God, how did he do all that? 
It was ridiculous. <sighs> and, and am I correct? Did they have Brandon Roy at that mm-hmm. point? Mm, yeah. See, that was probably part of their thinking, too. It was going to be now- Brandon Roy, Greg Oden, and um, well, Marcus Aldridge, and they were going to take us to the championship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's tough. It, for me, though, there were enough red flags with Odin, and we should probably move on before this gets too dark. But, like, there were enough little, like, injury things, even as he was entering the draft, that that was, like, the, the tiebreaker for me between him and Durant. Um, but he, uh, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on, like, believing in Greg Odin, it's, uh, like, in the abstract. Right. Well, and also we should we'd be remiss if we didn't say congratulations to him because he just got his degree from Ohio State. So that is like super awesome. I'm super proud that he was able to do that. That's yeah. A great he seems like he's in him. a good, healthier place these mm-hmm. days. Like yeah. uh, there were a couple of years there where it was it was tough because and I don't blame him for struggling because like going through that on the scale that he had to uh, endure all the adversity like that just sucks. So sure. it's cool to see him come through the other side a little bit. Well, on a happier note, hopefully, <laughs> I was, you know, we're obviously at Blazer's Edge pretty familiar with Ben Golliver, you know, being one of um, our most proud graduates. Um, but we mm-hmm. don't know a lot about you. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into sports writing. Okay. Um, well, so I didn't necessarily intend to get into sports writing. I was sort of through college, I was always into writing on my own, um, and I would write little like sports writing. Uh, basically, like I, I, I started a blog in college that my friends would read, but I was never like part of the school paper or anything like that. Um, and I got out of school and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, was maybe going to go to graduate school like a year or two after I graduated. And while I waited, I was lucky enough to get an internship at SB Nation, just as that was sort of taking off. And um, as they as they were launching their national site, which is now SBNation.com, like they did not have enough people to kind of like create content. So at 22 years old, I was able to do a lot for them that I would not have been able to do otherwise and like probably shouldn't have been able to do. Um, but I was able to like basically kind of become a sports writer then and, um, and had a lot of fun with it. And like, just sort of like this, you probably remember the internet around like 2010 area, um, was just full of kind of creative people who were making it up as they went along. (laughs) And it was like being part of that world unlocked um, a, something in me and it, it made me just sort of like, I kind of got hooked on, on all of it. And then, um, from there I went to Grantland where I was really happy and had a lot of fun for a couple of years. And that's sort of where I became hooked on basketball because I went to Grantland as sort of like a generalist blogger who was going to do a little bit of everything for them. And then being there for a couple years, like, literally every day we would end up arguing about basketball mm-hmm. and um and having a lot of fun with it and so eventually I was just like this is what I like most like I don't want to write about the NFL anymore it's really depressing but basketball is fun like 10 or 11 months a year so um and then I was lucky enough once Grantland ended I I wound up at Sports Illustrated where I've done strictly basketball 
And um, and it's been great. It's been a fun little ride here. That's interesting. You started, you know, with the online, um, you know, that angle of it and then got yourself in to be writing, you know, with the print edition. That's yeah. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately because of, you know, ESPN, the magazine announcing that they were going to be shutting down. I've heard, you know, some various sports writers or, you know, hosts of different shows lately talking about how they remember growing up and getting the sports illustrated in the mail and how exciting that was when it arrived, when it landed in the mailbox. Like, was was going to work for Sports Illustrated, was that like a big deal for you? Was there come some kind of a seminal moment thing for you? Or was, did you just kind of like slide into it as like the logical next step to what you'd been doing? Yeah, it was, it was, I would be lying if I said I was one of those kids who was like, living and dying with every Sports Illustrated. I, you know, to be honest with you, my connection was to Slam Magazine. Um, and every every Slam Magazine that came out, I would treat it like a new Bible. But Sports <laughs> Illustrated, it's more, I like I've always had a, a, a reverence for some of the storytelling that they do, um, which sounds really douchey to say, but like, it's like the, the, the degree of difficulty with some of the stories that they've done in the past, whether it's like Gary Smith or even a lot of what like Chris Ballard has done over the last few years, like they, it's just the best in the business in terms of like long form, richly reported stuff. And, um, and, and the more I've learned about that, like the more I've read, uh, the more I've come to be like, almost feel um like inferior sometimes where i'm just like i should not be allowed to be part of this like these the last 80 years here is just incredible and so it it is very cool and whenever my stuff is in the magazine now i i absolutely like get that those chill moments where you're just like whoa this is wild how is this real hmm. that's awesome well let's move on and talk about the Blazers. Um, okay. A little complicated mood right now, right? I mean, it's like coming off the highest of highs, and now I'm not sure where we stand. Well, or you could say just a typical week in being a Blazer fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been you've been watching the blog for 10 years now. You know how <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> The well, pain is as you know the, our our pain goes as high as our elation goes, right? Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how you guys continue to do it because it really is just like such a roller coaster with these like violent turns. And um, I like this Nuggets team is good, so it, it, this is not one of those like violent lows. If they end up losing the series, it's not like an embarrassment. But um, but I just. The in general over the last like five years, you guys have gone through so many ups and downs, and yet it it doesn't really affect you at all. Well, you're a Wizards fan, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a Wizards fan who has seen the Wizards like really bottom out, and I'm honestly like looking at this team being like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like healthy for my spirit, so I think I'm going to take a step back. 
But Blazers fans never make that call. They never take a step back. That's right. That's right. Well, you were kind of out here on the edge of the world by ourselves, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we have, uh, you know, other regional sports teams and then we have soccer in Portland. But really, if you like basketball, you cling to the Blazers and you just hang on for the ride. But speaking For of rides, sure. um, how do you think, you know, from the outside perspective, how do you think the Blazers have acquitted themselves this postseason, especially, you know, compared to the early exit last year? Um, I think they've done a really nice job, at, at, certainly through the Thunder series. I think we're starting to see the cracks show a little bit, um, particularly like the, the front court without Nurkic is really struggling right now. And um it's hard because you know, Cantor has actually been one of the bigger surprises of the playoffs for me because he's been able to really show up and help them a lot, but he's not really that healthy right now. Zach Collins, I think Zach Collins is going to be good. This is one of those things where like the Blazers hype machine <laughs> like was in my emails, like selling me on Zach Collins, like two weeks into his rookie season. And so I like, but I actually think that he's gonna get there. He just seems like he's a year or two away from being someone they can like really rely on, and that's hurting them in this series because like we saw Paul Millsap like kind of do whatever he wanted last night. Al Farouk Aminu has been awesome this year, but like has not been very effective in this particular matchup. So it's in general, it, I think they should feel really good about where they are this year versus where they were a year ago, but. um but it is still I think it's it's frustrating to see things kind of plateau after how incredible that first round series was. I mean, that was just awesome. Were you in town for that series? I wasn't. I'm I'm jealous of anyone who was. <laughs> well, we are uh, recording this on Wednesday and currently the Blazers are down three to two against Denver. What do you think needs to happen for them to come out on top in this series? Um, it's hard to say like Dame just needs to play better, but like Dame does need to play better. You do know, you think it's how he's playing or do you think how he's being played? Or, I mean, I imagine it's probably a combination of both, but yeah, let's well, explore that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it partly how he needs to be played or, or sorry, how he's being played. Mm -hmm. I think that like they, he is dealing with Gary Harris, who's, who's a very good defender um, but he, he also is getting some open looks that he would normally hit and, um, and they haven't been falling and the Blazers like at this point can't afford a C plus or B minus or B level Dame Lillard game, uh, because the Nuggets offense is actually really solid and, and they're not going to be able to, to hold those guys to like 80 or 90 points and they're going to need to be able to score with them. And so, they need Dame and CJ, and and Lillard just hasn't been as efficient in this series. And so, I think if you're on the Blazers side of things, like that probably bodes well because I I don't foresee Lillard like struggling in Game Six and Game Seven the way he has in some of these other other games. Um, and if that's like a, a a ace in the hole, that's probably a good thing. Uh, CJ McCollum has been awesome in a lot of these games um which has been cool because like after that thunder series everybody's talking about the blazers like they were kind of like a one-man team and um and cj is is great as well and hit some big shots 
at the end of that last game uh, against the Thunder, like it, that sort of got lost because Dame's shot was so incredible. But um, it's it's going to have to be those two guys, Rodney Hood, Seth Curry, like the the supporting cast can step up and help as well. But um, it's uh, it, it's a kind of a, a skeleton crew when you th- when you talk about like who who can really like carry the offense. Right. I mean, I really. I'm one of those, I, I tried to, uh, how do I say this? When <laughs> Nurkic went down, I thought, that's it. You know, that's it for the rest of the season. And I never should have thought that because I'm sure that Damian Lillard never thought that. And I always try to put myself in like his frame of mind. So I'm sitting here, they're on the brink of elimination and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, it was a great season. And I tell myself, no, Damian Lillard is not settling for, oh, this was a great season. We're satisfied with how it ended. So how do you think the Blazers would feel or the organization should feel or fans should feel looking at the future if the Blazers, you know, flame out in the second round and, you know, don't make it onto the Western Conference? Do you think they, what do you, what would be your assessment of the future for the Blazers? Yeah. Well, and by the way, I mean, that's like a, the the best point of all in terms of like how the Blazers should feel is like, we should all remember exactly how hopeless the Blazers looked and felt like when the Nurkic injury hit and, and that, that following 48 hours, anytime anyone talked about the Blazers, it was like talking about like a funeral (laughs) and which, because everybody had enjoyed the, the kind of like the resurrection story this year where everybody kind of fought through it and, and banded together. And then when Nurkic went down, we were just like, Oh man, like what an, what an awful story. What a star cross franchise. And then to be able to turn it around the, like, they're playing with house money to some degree here. And um, I do think that there's a risk of taking that too far. And like, if you're a Blazers fan or like if if the Blazers should be aggressive this summer about trying to build around Lillard, because he's, he's proven that he is everything you could really want in a franchise guy. But like, they got to be proactive trying to get him some help. And I, I recognize that their flexibility is going to be limited because of some of the contract stuff. But like the team right now isn't where it needs to be. Um, and that's kind of, I, I, I'm sure that Dame and everybody re- sort of recognizes that, but um, that would be my worry is that everybody kind of, reacts to that first round series and says okay like it was a good season like this Lillard and McCollum are good enough to kind of want to dream bigger than the second or third round I want to ask you about the Lillard McCollum combination because you know at the beginning of this year I kept looking over at the Washington Wizards and Bradley Beal and John Wall and thinking are Damon CJ at all like that combination and you know as the year prog- progressed, we saw the 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 two pairs go in very different directions. Do you see similarities between, you know, those two pairs of guards or, you know, big differences between them? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think that's part of why I respect the Blazers so much is like they – I would say that Wall and Beal are more talented than Lillard and McCollum, uh, but they have not improved nearly as much as Lillard and McCollum have over the past few years. Um, 
And, you know, it's a credit to Lillard probably um, and like the tone that he sets for everybody. But it's just it's been very cool to watch each of them get incrementally better as the years pass Um, at little things like Lillard in the pick and roll is just kind of a little bit more lethal than he was three or four years ago. And CJ is great at kind of hitting the, the mid range game. He like, he's a killer now as well. And, um, and they both are just steadier, I guess. Um, and, and more reliable. Whereas like wall and Beal, I think, athletically they could kind of overpower people and that was almost like a curse at times because they were able to just get by without addressing some holes in their game and really i'm talking about wall more than beal on that one um so uh so honestly as a wizards fan i look at the blazers with a little bit of envy because they're like very similar teams both are capped out and like have kind of like screwed themselves a little bit and yet the Blazers are so much more enjoyable because of the work ethic and that like the work ethic of Dame, which I fe- really feel like is infectious for the whole team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just reading a couple of pieces that you did about the Blazers this year. You had one really interesting discussion with Yusuf Nurkic. And one of the things that he talked about was how uh, the players on the team have really found their roles and it's Mm -hmm. funny because I hadn't read that until just tonight but that's something that I've been like talking about for like the last two months that the difference between the Blazers this year or you know starting like in the second half this year like in January this year is all of the role players suddenly latched in to figure out exactly what their role was like a guy like Mo Harkless was able to figure out like oh you know, sitting in the corner waiting for threes isn't necessarily what I need to be doing on this team. I need to be cutting to the basket and, you know, making activity this way. So I thought it was really interesting that that was something that uh, Nurkic specifically talked about in your, um, in your interview with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was cool talking to, talking to him about the, the vibes out there. It just seems like everybody is pretty comfortable and, um, and together which like I think we saw this season is is rarer than you would expect in the NBA. Like there were really only like four or five teams that actually seemed like they enjoyed being around each other for the entire season. And the Blazers were one of those teams. And like I was even thinking that watching the the Nuggets series this week, even as they uh, sort of struggled to find their footing in some of these games, like. I just really like this group of Blazers players. Like I Al Farouk Aminu isn't perfect, but he's getting like a hundred percent of his talent. Like he's he's optimized his talent as, as much as you could ever hope and um and is is really useful as like a perfect role player. And Harkless is the one guy who like kind of drives me crazy sometimes because he'll have stretches where he really helps them. And then he'll have stretches where he kind of looks invisible and you're just like, what's going on? But um, but in general, like it's just sort of a really enjoyable group of guys out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Ben prepped you for this, uh, but I am (laughs) like the head of the Aminu Appreciation Society. I I mean, he's awesome, right? I value him so much. And like my life's goal is just to make sure that he knows how much he's appreciated. Because first of all, 
seven million dollars a year and that's like a price like he's gone down he has one of those contracts that went down a little bit every year so while mm. everyone's wringing their hands about like all of the big contracts al farouk is sitting over there making a little bit less every year but you know in addition to that he just he's all heart and he also for me like plays my favorite band brand of basketball which is like completely unpredictable and <laughs> i was gonna say what i think of him I think of him like going to the rim and his elbows are like flying all over the place. And you're just like, do you have a plan here? I'm not sure whether what, where this is going, how this is going to end, but like more often than not, it works out. And then also like one out of every four games, he'll just like randomly shoot six or seven threes and, or, or hit six or seven threes. And you're like, Whoa, okay. Like this is not the Al Farouk Aminu I was expecting tonight, but they keep, he has those little bonus games, and then otherwise he just, like, knows his role and is really useful in a, in a lot of, like, subtle ways. Right. Yeah, no argument from me there. But it also brings up a point. So you – um, I don't know how much you know my podcast host, but he, like yours, um, likes to talk a lot about excellence – Okay. Oh boy. You know, he really likes winning. Um, And I'm on the other side of like, you know, my favorite hashtag is embrace the chaos. So I'm wondering where do you fall in the spectrum between embracing the chaos and like being a connoisseur of excellence? Um, I'm definitely an embrace the chaos person. I think that like, in general, I'm actually I'm watching the Bucks right now. And so the Bucks like, they are excellent and it's actually it's shocking how excellent they are defensively offensively Giannis is just a nightmare for the whole NBA and they all play hard they're all very reliable and consistent and that is great but if like that's the pinnacle of excellence and it can be kind of boring sometimes and so i do find myself drawn to these teams that have like drastic highs and lows. I've I've personally kind of been fascinated by the Celtics all year, um, who are like bottoming out in a big, big way at the end of these playoffs, um, which I guess is how it was always going to end for them. But they, so I I like the chaos of the NBA more than the like excellence. And I would also add that like one of the things that I get in an argument with about, or I guess the the core of the arguments that Ben and I get into all the time are that like I think there is a sect of fan who wants definitive answers out of the NBA and we'll try to quantify those answers and you can look to analytics for all kinds of different and it's fine I also personally am drawn to basketball because there are certain questions that like don't have definitive answers and um, and I find those questions to be the most interesting and you know that some of that is like stylistic questions like can you win shooting 40 or 53s a game versus like how how important is the mid-range in the playoffs and I like you can go to Kyrie and Kyrie versus Lillard is another thing and like there are all kinds of sort of interesting philosophical questions uh baked into this stuff and um that's generally more my speed than like who has the most efficient offense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
Well, to me, when I like one of the things I love about being a fan of the NBA is the sheer volume of data that is available. But I like mm-hmm. it for the stories that it tells, not for anything that it it can predict. Because like people are make make predictions all the time and then get mad when that's not how things turn out, or they act all surprised and shocked when that's not how things turn out. Like with Portland. Going into the end of the season, it was like, you know, a 97% chance that we were going to be, that the Blazers were going to be playing the Utah Jazz. And, you know, I was like, well, that's not, you know, it's 97%. There's still a chance they could be playing somebody else. And it's like, oh, don't even bother. Like, don't even bother talking about that. Like, you know, they're not even considering it. And I'm just like, it can, <laughs> numbers can, you know, tell a story about what's happening, but you can't. You can't use them to like definitively predict anything because that's why we like sports. We like sports because we don't know what's going to happen. And if you're somebody who needs to know what's going to happen, you should like watch movies that you already know the end of or something, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, that's what is great about basketball is that I, I, particularly lately, we exhaust all sorts of different resources pouring over data that is supposed to be predictive, I guess. Like, I think you're right to look at it the way you look at it. It's like, it's, it's actually not predictive. It shouldn't be treated as such. It's, it is a good way to tell a more nuanced story if you're looking back. Um, but like, it gets dangerous when you start trying to project things based on some of this stuff. And, um, and, I like the the best thing about basketball is that every now and then there's going to be a curveball thrown in the mix. And like that's sort of happening with the Rockets series right now where it's like the Rockets, like it doesn't make that much sense why they're able to junk up the Warriors offense the way they do and or the way they have each of the last two postseasons. But like they do and suddenly like, I'm looking at that series like anything can happen and um, those anything can happen moments are like by far the the coolest version of of the NBA to me. Whereas like the excellence when we're standing back and appreciating the consistency of like the Spurs or, you know, the Bucks or like if the Warriors are going 16 and 0 through the playoffs like that. <laughs> it's just like, OK, that's cool. Like, I don't really know what you want me to say, you know. I suppose if if the teams that I rooted for were like that, I would be all in. But mm, totally. <laughs> I'm waiting for the day that that listen, is going to happen. <laughs> I will take a 65-win wizard season any day, okay? I will take liable and boring from the Washington Wizards. Uh, but beyond that, let's mix it up. Embrace the chaos. The reliable and boring part is the surprise, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The (laughs) ultimate curveball for the Blazers or the Wizards. (laughs) So the, you know, after Damian Lillard, um, you know, puts the team on his back, inspires them to get out of the second round and make it to the Western Conference Finals. uh, Mm -hmm. How do you think that they would match up against one of their potential teammates, either or opponents, either the Warriors or the Rockets? Oh, man. I mean... First of all, I don't love the Rockets in general um, for some of the reasons I laid out earlier like, in terms of like just I big data basketball is like not my thing. Um, and so I would enjoy any kind of if, if it were Blazers Rockets, I would be like 
a diehard Blazers fans for, <laughs> for two weeks. Um, I think that they would match up decently well with Houston. Their, their issue going forward, like they need Cantor to play better as a, as a big man option, or they need Collins to be able to be there. Like, like they would have trouble with Capella is basically what I'm saying there. Um, and then, uh, the the Warriors are like a death machine uh, against anyone but the Rockets, so they would obviously go into that series looking pretty doomed. But it, the the one thing on the Golden State side is like they now are playing like five and a half players, and those guys are going to be really tired at some point. Like they're they're playing forty minutes, forty five minutes, like it's it's intense, and so I. I think Golden State, like they may win the title, but it's not going to feel like the last few titles where they end up winning and we look back and we're like, "Well, that was just a waste of three months. Like that could not have been more boring and less dramatic." This, if they make it, like they're going to be tested probably at every turn from here. And so, like if it were Golden State, Portland, um, I think Dame could kind of make things interesting for a few games there. Whereas, like, if it's Denver, Denver's the one team that, like, Golden State can just kind of tear to shreds because of what they can do to Jokic. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm rooting for the Blazers in this series. I think they can make things a little bit more interesting in the in the Western Conference Finals. All right. Well, from uh, your mouth to God's ears, we're all. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> that's that's my saying for the year. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. I mean, so like, what's the mood with the Blazers fans around you? Like, are, are people feeling good? It's, it, did, did they look at this as house money or, or not? So it's kind of hard to tell because I have a pretty strong brand as team mom. So okay. <laughs> when things start to slide and go a little awry, that's kind of like when I shine. Cause like when okay. they're, when the Blazers aren't playing well, I'm, I people often will turn to me and be like, "Mom, what are we supposed to do?" And I'll be like, "It's fine. Here's a picture of a baby sloth in a pair of pajamas. Look at this Perfect. and just, you know, you know, just appreciate everything that we have had so far." So, for me and the people that I hang around with, everybody is um just so grateful for the year that they've had so far and yeah. you know we're still pretty raw from Nurkic's injury we're delighted with how Cantor has really um proven like you know he came in he came to the Blazers with like the giant asterisks that oh he can't play defense right and He's managed, at least, you know, through the end of the season and into, you know, through the first round to play completely respectable defense. Yeah. Um, I think now, I, I don't know if it's just, you know, tired. I mean, they've played him so much and he's also not super healthy, um, you know, with his shoulder and everything and just not a good matchup. I mean, like. To, to survive and to play really good defense through the first round and then to be matched up against Jokic, it's like, oh, that's so not fair. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, it so, really is. Anyway, it's all to say that uh, people really want the Blazers to win, but I think that having exercised the demon of last year's sweep, um, a lot of us are feeling pretty satisfied with that. Not that we're not hungry for more, but if we didn't get more, I think a lot of people would feel like we're pretty satisfied with how the year went. I know it's a super wishy-washy question. No, no, but no. I, I mean. I, <laughs> it's a wishy-washy spot because like there are some reasons. I, I think 
nationally, like the people I talked to, everybody kind of just penciled in the Blazers to the West Finals. And so in that respect, everyone's like, wait, what's happening now? Like, um, and so it's frustrating because we all just wanted to watch Lillard as long as we could. Like, it felt like he was in the middle of like a, a pretty special moment this playoff run. But I also think like watching them, there has been kind of an emotional moment for this team where like, even if they lose, people are going to come back next year, kind of like ready to believe in them all over again. Uh, Uh, I can't wait to see a healthy Nurkic back because they were just, they were playing so well when he went down. Yeah. Well, and if they had lost again, if they had gone out in the first round in like five or six games to the Thunder, I don't know if that kind of buy-in would have been possible next year. You know what I mean? Like it just, they needed a reason to, they needed a reminder that like Dame is legit. Like this isn't all hype and the team can be legit and, and can, can really do some like pretty cool things. Um, but they do, they're also still kind of shorthanded, which I think is what we're seeing in this series. And so we'll see, we'll see where they are next year. But uh, I think it like, you're right that it, it is like, super encouraging after that first round because of the, because of the, some of the recent history they've been dealing with. So I can't believe we talked this whole time and we haven't talked about Rodney hood yet. I like totally meant to bring that up. earlier. <laughs> um, so when Portland signed or when they traded for Rodney hood, like one of my first thoughts was about you because as oh, a follower honored. of your podcast, <laughs> Um, I, I've been listening to it for years. I was like, Andrew Sharp is now going to be totally on board with the Blazers because Rodney Hood, uh, is playing for us. I don't really ever quite know, sure that I know, um, how you came to talk about Rodney Hood a whole lot last year. So maybe you can back it up and tell us a little bit about your, um, you know, appreciation for Rodney Hood, just like my appreciation for Al Farouk Aminu. <laughs> okay, for sure. And it's funny because... Eventually, part of the running joke to me became that, like, we would always mention Rodney Hood kind of without context on the podcast. And I think, like, a lot of people were just like, what are they talking about? What is Sharp talking about? Because, like, offline, I had a lot of arguments with people in my life, most of whom are in basketball media, and Ben is one of them, um, when the Cavs traded for Rodney Hood that like Rodney Hood was going to show up and have a couple big Rodney Hood games in the playoffs and was going to was really going to help the the Cavs down the down the stretch last year. That did not happen. <laughs> but I was always a Rodney Hood believer because like I said on open floor this week like he was I I as I I told the story of me blogging like I didn't really start talking to players until about halfway into my career and like after a year or two at Grantland. And like one of the first bigger interviews I did was just like this 30 minute phone call with Rodney Hood as he was getting ready for the draft. And I came away really liking him um, and wrote a short piece about it. But like over the years, I've checked in with him every two years or so to do like an interview. Um, and I just, he's just kind of like a good, solid, normal dude and, uh, which can be kind of refreshing sometimes in the NBA. And so like when he was struggling last year, because in my arguments after the Cavs trade, there were all these people and thank you for letting me tell this story, by the way, but there were like 
all these people being like, Rodney Hood sucks. Like if he, if Utah didn't want him, then he clearly sucks. Utah's front office is smart. Rodney Hood is like on his way out of the league, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, listen, Rodney Hood, when it matters, is going to have some offense that's going to be really valuable. And it turns out I was just a year early mm-hmm. because that has happened in Portland. And uh, it's cool because like he was going, you could tell like, some of the criticism was getting to him last year and he was kind of stuck in his own head. And I think it's another credit to like the atmosphere that the Blazers cultivate that he is now, he looks more comfortable than he has in the last few years and, um, and is playing really well. So it's, it's been pretty awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He um, has been just like in, in the second round, I think it's, kind of not been talked a lot about how he's really been playing. Like he and CJ have both been playing really well. We're all sort of like, you know, worried about, you know, what's happened to Damien. But in the meantime, like he and CJ have had some really nice games and some really nice offense. And he's another guy who like, he didn't come like with a knock on his defense, but he came with like, well, defense isn't his thing, but he came in (laughs) uh, yeah playing pretty solid down down the way do you think that he would be a good fit for this team from what you know of this team in the future if they were able to figure out how to resign him yeah I mean I think that this is this is sort of like his ideal role where like you're not going to want to count on him as a starter on a good team but as a kind of guy who can come in and give you anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, uh, depending on the night and what you need, like he can really help. Um, I don't know whether I, I mean, Portland's cap situation has been like such a nightmare for several years that like, I, it's kind of beyond me how they ever sign anybody, but like, I would love to see Rodney hood stay in Portland somehow. I know they have to bring back Aminu this summer is that right? He's a free agent too, right? Yeah, Aminu is a free agent, and um, let's see, Jake Lehman is a restricted free agent. Seth Curry's a free agent, um, and Ennis Cantor. And I think okay. they already have some god awful number already. It's <laughs> not even to them. <laughs> it's really tough. I hope they can bring back uh, Big Chief and 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 Rodney Hood. And Seth Curry has been great as well, but I feel like he will probably have like some team is going to make him a stupid offer and it's going to think that he can be better than he actually is. And we'll, it'll be great for him, but I bet he gets like eight or 9 million a year from someone. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to see what happens in the off season. I don't want to rush things or anything. I want to savor the postseason, but I'm so fascinated by what's going to happen in the off season with so many people coming up and being free agents and so many dominoes waiting for other dominoes. And, oh, it's going to be so great. Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, well, I, it's cool, too, because you look at this this season and you look at, you know, where the Rockets are, where the where the Warriors are, and the Blazers and Nuggets are, are a couple levels below those two teams. But, like, take Kevin Durant off of Golden State. And take, I mean, Chris Paul is going to be a year older. The, the Rockets are going to are going to have trouble staying at this level for the next couple of years. And like, once those two teams become a little bit more mortal, the West could be like really wide open, um, which I think would be a lot of fun for teams like the Blazers and whatever the Clippers put together and the Nuggets for the next couple of years. And so, 
I, I'm really, if, if there's one thing I'm looking forward to over the next few years, it will be kind of like a more like democratized Western conference. God, some days I'm just so grateful that I became a fan of this league because even with the, so we have right now the excitement of the playoffs going on. And then immediately after that, we go into, you know, third season, which <laughs> is just as promising in terms of entertainment. And then we all have to like survive September. And then in October, it all starts all over again. And you have no idea what's going to be happening nine months later. So yeah, it's pretty it's wild. Fascinating. <laughs> Anyway, I don't want to keep you much longer, um, but I do want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. I like, like I said, I've been listening to the Open Floor podcast for so long, and um, just wanted to hear from you because you know, with our relationship with Ben, he'll come back and talk <laughs> to us. But I was like, I want to talk to Andrew Sharp. No, <laughs> so. I really appreciate it, and it's always fun. Uh, again, Blazers Edge is like one of the cooler communities. The basketball internet has and so it is an honor and um i you know producing ben goliver is like a, both a, a claim to fame and also like a little bit suspicious because he's a uh a psychopath sometimes but he's the best person uh the best one you know. best. yes so he um uh, he's great and uh and yeah hopefully I can make it to the one of my like major bucket list items is I've n somehow never been able to go to a Blazers game. So You're if kidding. I'm out in Portland, yes, I'll Andrew. have to we'll hang out. Yeah, oh. it's bad. It's bad. I mean, look, I've it, it's, I'm it on the East Coast. I know it's not. It's not that hard. So one of these days I'm going to get out there and I can't wait. I'm, I'm speechless. I don't even know where to go from there. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait, wait for I'm you to sorry. come. <laughs> would, yeah. would you like to share with people how they can find your work? Yes. Um, I'm at Andrew Sharp on Twitter. Um, and then uh, Sports Illustrated every every week. I will write two to three columns per week. Uh, we'll be in the magazine next week. Um, and yeah, just follow along. The playoffs are going to be we're we're definitely uh, living the embrace chaos creed over the next couple of weeks, but uh, it should be fun. And then Ben and I, we do have a lot of fun with the podcast, and I never expected it to be as much fun as it has been with him. So we've we've had a great couple of years. Did and you guys that, know each other before you start? Sorry, but no, I forgot didn't. I was going to ask this. It was we didn't know each other, and I I knew him from Blazers Edge as like the the kind of more serious writer, and I was just like, I don't know how this is gonna go necessarily. And what I didn't realize is that Ben is like sneaky hilarious and um, kind of like a, a real lovable weirdo, and so we've ended up having a lot of fun with it. And so that's every Tuesday and Friday if people want to listen over there. Right on. Well, thanks again for joining me. Um, you can find the Blazers Edge podcast at, on you know Stitcher or iTunes or whatever podcast thing you listen to. You can follow Blazers Edge on Twitter at Blazers Edge. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And I think that's about all I have to say. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you later. <laughs>